Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 81 for September of 2018. Our usual crew, Pete, Eric, and Garrett are with us, and we have a special guest tonight, Jeff. Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Um, I'm a uh, returning guest. I was on the uh, show almost exactly two years ago uh, after having... uh, It's really been two years? Wow. It, yeah, no, because that was August 2016 when I went down to Death Valley. Hmm. And uh, Jeff famously did the uh, what was that? The Coastal Range? No, uh, it was the inaugural Lemons Rally. The Lemons Rally on a TW 200 trailway, which is one of the least advisable things I can imagine doing. But uh, uh, <laughs> you did survive. And what have you been up to lately? You've got uh, some. Some new and interesting stuff to to talk about. Yeah, I've uh, let's see, I, I since have upgraded to some slightly larger machines. Um, One would hope. <laughs> <laughs> I did have an, a Yamaha FZO7 at the time that I went, no, no, that would actually might be able to keep up with traffic. Um, and since then, that bike has turned into has has made it into Project Bike Hell um, because. I bought it as a uh, a salvage that needed to be retitled, um, and so there's still like there's a bunch of fab work that needs to go into it at the at the moment. Um, and you're in California. I'm in California, and I am betting California licensing uh, the hoops you have to jump through on retitling something are probably as bad as Missouri. Possibly, it wasn't actually too bad. It's got it has plates now. It's just a matter of like. When I had to go in to uh, replace the spark plugs, that required pulling the fairings off, and they were so ratty they're not going back on. So ah. that that means getting to the point of like, okay, figuring out what to do about the gas tank fairings because it's also not going to be something where I can just eBay the uh, the fairings and expect them to fit right. Um, so have you, since that, have, what, have you looked into making your own carbon fiber body parts on YouTube? It's not that hard. I, that's that is something that has crossed my mind. Um, I'm currently trying like i have a stock tank that i'm thinking about doing either some fiberglass or carbon fiber work to cover it up and make a unique fairing for it's just a matter of like doing but trying a bunch of things failing a few times and then maybe getting something that looks okay <laughs> um i've seen people use uh like uh polyethylene sheet and I know, like on uh, when you take the fairing off of a uh, Ninja 250, you have these weird cutouts in the side because the fairing actually b- goes around and bolts onto the the fuel tank. And I've seen people take those, heat them up with a heat gun, and actually kind of mold them to the side and cut them to shape and kind of make eh, not super sophisticated but acceptable uh, kind of. They kind of look like motocross radiator radiator shrouds on the right. side of the tank, just from uh, three sixteenths of an inch plastic sheets that they heat up with a heat gun, and uh, they look okay. They yeah, look that's... they look homemade, but not rattly homemade. Certainly an interesting idea. Um, so what, what have, what do you have now? You've, you've obviously you still I, have your FZ 07. I, uh, I still have the TW 200. Um, 
I still occasionally take it out on the street. It's been doing a decent bit of dirt duty. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, almost exactly a month ago, I bought a Yamaha MT-10. Oh, and wow. Then, and and uh, uh, MT-10, is that what they're calling it over here? Or are they yep. calling it an FC? No, no, they, they all, finally all, just decided to go worldwide with it. It's the oh, okay. for twenty eighteen. All the all the FZs are now MTs, like the rest mm. of the world. I see. Yeah, that one. I didn't I didn't catch that one. That's new to me. <laughs> well, talk about that, would you? Because I've always been really interested in that bike. Um, oh. and I, I I used to love the aesthetics. Or I shouldn't say used to love. I used to like the aesthetics a lot more than I do now. Um, but I just I love the platform. So, yeah, talk about that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I definitely went the other way in the aesthetics. I, when I first saw that bike a couple of years ago, it was like. I I had a hard time with it and then it's it, it has grown on me. Yeah. Since before I bought it um, in no small part because of just all the positive reviews it's gotten. Right. And uh, I think my favorite of which is there's a uh, in the Bay Area, there's a, a little monthly uh motorcycle magazine called city bike is that, that uh, still alive it is wow i used uh, to have a they, subscription to that about a hundred years ago <laughs> yeah they uh they only they just recently went uh purely online so you can't get the print edition anymore but it does mean that they have a much better website that you can check out uh they called it in their instagram feed a uh a motorcycle that is especially encouraging of totally law-abiding behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that absolutely is what it is. Um, I've got just over 1,400 miles on it now. I've been riding the wheels off of it. Uh, the goal was to get it out of the braking period by last Friday, which I just managed to pull off so that I could just ride it when I went out on... Uh, I ride with the Oakland Motorcycle Club, and uh, yeah. we did. A, I clocked 400 miles over the weekend, going down to Big Sur and then back. Nice. How uh, comfortable was it to put that many miles on and the weekend? <clears throat> now I'm a bad barometer for that because I thought going on the TRV 200 for you know 10 or 12 hours a day was fine, <laughs> and my main my main takeaway from that is that. Next summer, I need to like work my way up doing a uh, a saddle sore one thousand. Yeah. So that See, that is on my. I I think I must be like the opposite of you. I think that I'm always a bad barometer for judging motorcycle comfort because I don't know if there's something in my genetics that just makes it really uncomfortable for me to sit on a motorcycle for very long. But I to this day have never found a motorcycle that I can sit on for more than two hours without extreme pain. And so, like, there's a friend of mine uh, recently just rode to Yellowstone and back. And on uh, the first day, they did 500 miles. And I just couldn't even fathom the idea of riding 500 miles in one day. I don't think there's a motorcycle made that I could sit on for that long. You don't uh, think if you had one of those really nice K1200 RTs that you were looking at that... Uh, uh You know... I think that I could probably do like 250 miles in, of comfort, but I maybe it's just my I don't have any padding on my butt, and so maybe that's the problem. But yeah, yeah I, I just couldn't even imagine doing that. And so, I mean, the last time I rode my motorcycle, I did um, 
two and a half hours of riding. It was, you know, a little over a hundred miles and, uh, it, it was excruciating. But then again, I have the world's worst seat. On my, I was going to say it all depends on the seat that you have, and yeah, so many well, my, motorcycle my, seats are yeah. so bad. So, well, mine's a Corbin, and I've never sat on anything worse. I don't know if I mean it's the only Corbin. I, well, actually, that's not true. I had a first generation FC one. It had a Corbin seat, which was marginally better than this FC one seat that I have uh, on my second generation bike. Uh, but it's just it's like rock hard. I mean, you can't even push your thumb into it more than like a quarter inch without your thumb bending in half. So that that's about how the MT10 seat is. It's pretty minimal. It's kind of just a board with a little bit of foam on it. And yeah. uh, the definitely some of the things I've seen people complain about is that the seat's terrible. Yeah, um, it was pretty uncomfortable after 230 miles on it uh, yeah. when I ran down to, to Monterey for uh, the Conquest of Lemons last month. And um, that so this time, control, though, probably makes up for a lot of the seat discomfort anyways, being able to set the cruise control and I, I haven't played arms. with it yet. Really? Yeah, I just kind of don't. Yeah. You know, I, I did not think I would like cruise control. And when I bought my Spider, it was one of the reasons I stepped up to the higher end model is because my wife convinced me that I wanted the cruise control. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. That is the nicest feature. It, yeah. When you, when it's a, got a lot to do with those, you know, for me, some of those 500 mile days is being able to right. just hit the cruise, especially when you're riding with other people, you're not constantly focused on, you know, getting too close and backing up and having to pace that person. You, you talk to the other person, you're like, are you set? Yep. Okay. For sure. You set yours too. And then you can just sit and track and you don't feel like you're, you're having to drive yourself down the road. It's just, yeah. you know, I find it so much less stressful to ride with cruise control when you're out on the interstate. Yeah, I was so oh. excited when they put the cruise control on the MT-10. That was like like one of the most exciting things about the bike for me when it came out was that it had cruise control. I, <laughs> I mean, mean, like, it, it's a really simple add to that bike because it, it's um, uh, throttle by wire. So, right. I mean, all they have to do is add a little bit of software into the uh, engine control unit to just watch the the tire speed and keep the ba- the uh, butterfly valve adjusted. Now, on, um, on that subject, I have asked you about the ride modes. Have you played with all the ride modes and what works for you and what doesn't? Because I know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Cajron Two Wheels MT10 review. I, I love that one. That was one of my favorite episodes. And that's definitely on the list of reviews that sold me on this bike. Because I know, I remember he got it backwards and he had it in, um, he had it in the, uh, what is I? It was mode A and B when he wrote it, right? And now they've changed it to one, two, and three. Where one is, um, the uh, the most aggressive, uh, aggressive, and three is rain mode. I have thus far left it in mode two, and the bike is still completely unhinged. Uh, like he he, <laughs> he thought he was in aggressive mode. He was in mode two and just. He, he was, was like coming off an off ramp or something and he whacked it open and then he like comes to a stop and there's just like 30 seconds of profanity. Because it was he, amazing. Because he, he's just this far away from soiling his underwear and yeah. he's like, what the hell just happened? Which, yeah. It, the, the bike doesn't feel like it's been backed off. I'm a little bit 
I, I am a little bit intimidated to actually stick it into mode one. I'm going to try that here soon. I, part of why I've been avoiding it was because it'd been in the break-in period, and it's like the guidelines are don't, don't run it over 5,900 RPM for extended periods of time because I guess Yamaha knows you're going to slip up on that bike. Like, there's no way you're not going to wrap it out at least once. Um, and, uh, but to quote, to, quote keep... Bradley Bar- to quote Bradley Burnell, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Bike seems totally fine. Um, and also, I'm still getting used to the bike. So I'm sure in the next, you know, 100 miles or 200 miles, I will flip it to mode one and find out just exactly what that's like. So has it, has it um, frightened you? I am pretty difficult to frighten. It is certainly, but I am, I, I like to use the word intimidating for when, for what I feel when other people would be scared. <laughs> Again, death Val- after Death Valley, my thought was, I need to go do a saddle sore. <laughs> but so I, the- I, I uh, just the other night we had a uh, mouse get in the house and yeah. I saw something out of corner of my eye in the living room flash between two pieces of furniture and i kind of was surprised and my wife was like you're scared of a mouse i was like no i was startled there's a difference right. between being scared and so has the bike startled you oh yes it has <laughs> um <laughs> it it's surprisingly approachable it's very composed all the way up to the the uh stock rev limiter um but it will, like one of the other guys I was riding with over this weekend, described what the bike was capable of doing as teleporting. Like, I, he knew I was behind him, and then moments later he'd like blink, and I would be off up at the front of the pack. Or he like, or he thought I was behind him, and then thirty minutes later I'd be sitting waiting at the next turn, telling him which way to go, and he just didn't notice me get by. So, would you say that the chassis is? And equal to the motor. The chassis is very much an equal to the motor. What what about the brace? Because that seems to be the biggest thing that I, the other biggest thing that everyone complains about is that the feel for the front brakes is rather wooden. Wooden. Sorry, Midwestern accent coming through. <laughs> I haven't ridden the R1, yeah. which is what they're usually getting compared against. And I know I know that's one of the things that they uh uh one of the spots where they they went a little bit less high end just to knock. I mean, it's cost. Yeah, it's three or four thousand dollars less expensive than the uh, the full R one. So I haven't yeah. had a bad time with the brakes. They get the bike stopped pretty well, but I, I'm not necessarily a complete connoisseur yeah, of like very high end sport brakes. It's probably just a pads and different different set of pads that probably cure ninety percent of that. So probably. Well, and also, I mean, you could go probably go back five to eight years and they would be stellar breaks, you know? I mean, the, yeah, they keep up in the game and I'm sure if most of the compared with a lot of the bikes that I've ridden that people said the brakes were really good, I'd get on that and go, holy crap, these are, you know, teleporting me to a stop. Yeah. And, it stops like it stops quickly. It comes down like, and they don't complain even if you're maybe a bit past a hundred miles an hour. Um, now that's ABS, right? It does have ABS. Is it switchable or on all the time? 
I'm trying to remember. I don't think the ABS can be turned off. Okay. But I might be wrong about that. I, I'm not sure why you would want to. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Racetrack. Yeah, but that's not really uh, a track bike. The, the oh, traction okay. control can definitely be turned off. <laughs> I have not done that yet. <laughs> uh, I just carefully have, read ma- that section of the manual so I'd know which mode was which. Does it have wheelie control on it? Or is it just kind of one of the sim- more simple um, traction control systems that just does rear wheel spin? I don't think I it think that does. Might, yeah. Okay. I don't remember seeing anything about putting it in a mode where like it would pop the tire up and then hold you there. Yeah. So I th- I think you still actually have to be able to wheel yourself to get this bike to to safely get the wheel in the air. The number of uh, tests that I've heard of people unintentionally lofting the front end higher than they expected to tells me it doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um it, it has definitely been something like it only takes about two thirds of three quarter throttle somewhere in that range to get the front end to go light and do the, uh, the two and a half seconds, zero to 60 run. So yeah, like you, you cannot get all the way on it in first, even with the, and I've definitely, I've definitely popped the wheel off the ground a couple inches in third, uh, quite by accident, just running along the street. Hmm. The uh, um, the the run down to to Monterey would you you would you do what eighty four thirty five and nine? Uh, we we started in the East Base. We cut over ninety two. Okay. Headed up to Alice's restaurant. Yep. Um, and then down Skyline. Yep. Uh, then cut down nine. Cut mm-hmm. through Big Basin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. Picked up nine again south, and then cut around Santa Cruz and some of the uh, the the back the non highway back roads there. Uh, so, sounds like when I uh, out when I was out in out there in 2007 for for MotoGP, and I rode a of all the bikes to do most of what you're talking about on a um, KLR 650 loaded down. <laughs> <laughs> And and I'm trying to hustle a KLR650, which I had never ridden before, and wasn't obviously wasn't my bike. And everyone else is riding like 750s and thousands. <laughs> in the group that I'm with, um, that road isn't is such that it's not so bad. But still, they were walking away. But yeah, yeah. it's just a uh, go. Basically, go go on Google Maps. Uh, for those who are listening, look up Alice's Restaurant, California location or something like that and look into Google Maps and then you can see all the roads we're talking about because they're all kind of yeah. go around in that area. And they're just like they're, they're all you could ever ask for in, in, a, in a like a two one and a half to two lane road to go ride a, a sport bike on or any kind of motorcycle on, really. They're, they're really quite amazing. Um, and we had just beautiful weather in the weekend. Uh, most weekends in the summertime, those roads, are, it's going to be bright, sunny, and wonderful with like not too much heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the fun thing I really learned about this bike and got really had driven home was that you can't baby it. Uh, cause I'd be, we'd get stuck behind a bus on like highway nine and the temperatures would, the temp gauge would start creeping up. Um, and then the really fun moment for that was, uh, Nascimento Ferguson Road, which is down, goes over the uh, the top of Big Sur. And it's this little like lane and a half 
of ill-maintained pavement that winds its way up over a mountain range. Uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no gas nearby. It's totally in the wilderness. Um, I, I'd actually, I got on this road and I stopped, put the uh, traction control into rain mode because there was gravel and dirt on it. And uh, I just didn't want to dump the bike out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but lots of blind corners, all of them fairly slow. Want to be taken even in second gear if you're going for it. Uh, <clears throat> and as I'm, I'm picking my way up this hill, trying to be cautious and like not get into trouble way out where I'm not going to be able to get towed in or help, the temperatures start rising. I'm halfway up this hill, and the bike's trying to, to overheat a little bit. I stop, wait a bit, and when I get going again, I finally go, okay. I start racing between the corners. So I'd go break down to a good entry speed, go, go around the corner a little carefully, and then just get on it. <laughs> and sure enough, the temperatures just started creeping right back down, and it was fine. Like, if I was beating it up the hill, it was happy. Which made me go, well, I have two options. I can uh, conserve fuel, or I can overheat the bike. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of temperatures were you seeing um so it will sit at 160 to 165 out on the highway at 70 miles an hour and uh depending on where the fan is set uh like the stock setting for the fan on my bike it will let it go up to uh 226 with oh, before the fan wow. kicks on um which it's not that's not like a a super worrying temperature but if I know that the uh, the slope on that graph is, you know, a degree every minute or two or every like so many seconds, then I I'm not happy seeing it up at that that high because I know the fans kicking on is not going to do that much to to bring it down. Yeah, I'm surprised they have the fan set to come on that warm. Yeah, there's apparently a mod that you can do where you take in the dealer complain and they'll they'll change the set point and drop it mm. down ten or fifteen degrees. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're, on, on, on any kind of modern car, motorcycle, up, up to 210, you're fine. Yeah. yeah. 210 to 220, eh, you know, after 220, yeah, we need to start talking about things. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. So you're enjoying the bike. I'm absolutely in love with the bike. I. It, it, the other thing is that whoever Yamaha uses to model where the pegs and the controls go is shaped exactly like me. So I, I need to do nothing to this machine. It is just perfect the way it is. <clears throat> Famous last words. <laughs> yeah. So I want to know, did you look at other bikes before settling on that one? Did you ride anything else like the Tuano or anything like I didn't that? I not necessarily ride anything in the class with this bike, but I've done been riding a bunch of other machines. Um, I uh, got out, uh, Gosh, a bit over a year ago, I got out. Actually, no, about a year ago, um, I got out on a a Bonneville, and that was kind of a that was a disappointing bike after the FC07. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been cross shopping those two. Uh, the FC07's frame is just way better, but that kind of the the modern sport bike frame versus the uh, traditional double cradle frame. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're still very good bikes. I had a lot of fun on that machine. Um, kind of glad I ended up with the, the FC07 instead. Uh, rented a Ducati Scrambler earlier. 
try it out um like kind of just a wide range of things uh, an indian scout a while back too and that was a nice motor but i can't do feet forward controls with any yeah. comfort my back just quick, hates me after a very short period of time quick, I, quick question on the scout what was the build quality like i've been hearing interesting stories that bike was fine okay. like everything on it felt solid and looked beautiful I know um, when when uh, Victory went away and there were a lot of dealers looking to get rid of the Octane, which is basically the same thing. Uh, I was really interested in one, but uh, yeah, the forward foot controls and pegs just ruin it. Uh, but we've talked about that before on the podcast. It's, you know, when you're riding a horse or something like that, you like to be able to lift your weight up on your feet and not have your tailbone pound over road irregularities or whatever. And it, I want the same thing on a motorcycle. I don't want to sit with my feet way in front of me and just bounce up and down on my butt. Yeah. If I, if I see a bump in the road coming, I'm going to grab the bike a little harder with my legs and press down on the balls of my feet and get my butt out of the saddle and then ride over it. And if it's a really big bump, I might actually stand all the way up, even if I'm on a sport bike. Cause um, well, and I think even I, just for yeah. control, how how your body you know if your feet are yeah. under you you can shift your weight side to side a little bit and and really feel like you're in control of where you are on the bike when your feet are in front of you you're you have no choice except to just let your weight fall where it is so yeah you can just be much more athletic with the bike if you've got your feet under you yeah good point uh how did you enjoy the route that you were on? I mean, you said you liked the bike. Uh, how about your trip? Uh, the, the trip was totally gorgeous. Um, we all, uh, it was maybe a little bit more exciting at one point. Um, one of the other riders, I'm not going to name names, went down pretty hard uh, on 236 in Big Basin. Um, he, uh, there he hit a blind curve that was uh, it was nearly 180 degrees, and there was a bunch of a couple stands of redwoods right on the inside, and the cyclist had come through and he was running right down the middle of the road, and so my friend came around the corner, grabbed a handful of front brake to try and avoid this guy because he was in exactly the wrong spot, um, and like my friend didn't see him until he was right on top of the the cyclist, and went down so. We uh, we had a couple hours of delay, uh, making sure he got help, and uh, eventually, and one of the other guys lived up in Redwood City, so not too terribly far away. He went back home, got his truck, and loaded loaded the bike and the uh, the uh, downed rider into the truck, and they went back up to the hospital. Uh, but so that was that was an unfortunate start to the day. Um, but after we got back on the road and got going, like the rest of the day went pretty smoothly. You know, there was the usual traffic on on Highway One in a few places that was kind of unfortunate. We, I ended up getting impatient right where Highway One chokes down to one or to two lanes uh, south of Santa Cruz because that's always backed up for miles at a time. And the guy leading the ride was being a little conservative because it was his. It was one of his first times leading. Uh, a group ride. I was with the Oakland Motorcycle Club, um, and so he, the uh, the guy, who, the the road captain, the leader of the ride, is supposed to be a little bit um, 
on the conservative, don't go too crazy, keep the group together end of the, uh, the scale. And I knew my bike was going to overheat because it was another one of those moments, temperatures creeping up. So I dived over into the shoulder and rode up next to him, waved, and then took off slowly down the, at uh, the shoulder. <laughs> but that was kind of the, uh, that was the ugliest bit. The rest of it, like particularly when we got down to Big Sur, was just it was like beautiful, clear day. Just the roads down there are just so much fun to ride on, and um, and the the scenery along the coast is just absolutely stunning down there. I mean, it's very difficult to describe if you haven't been on the Oregon coast or the California coast. The uh, the headlands that you see are they're just incredible. You've got these like just sea cliffs dropping down into the water and you come up around a point and then you get miles of view down with just beautiful ocean waves crashing on a beach that is like blocked into the land by these towers of cliffs. And, um, it's pretty glorious. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I tell people that, oh, you know, the Great Plains have a beauty all their own. And this summer I was up in Alaska and I was, uh, spent a couple of days in Seattle and Western Washington. And I remember when I was stationed out there, the places I used to ride, I'm like, yeah, screw that. <laughs> it's so much more gorgeous and the roads are so much better on the coast. But. Yeah. And then when we got up in the morning, we hit Highway 25, which is this little road that parallels 101 south of Gilroy. Uh, inland and the first part of it is uh, is nice and windy it's and it's the kind of windy where you can actually get some speed going into the corners and take most of it at, uh, at a pretty good pace and uh, I was everyone else in the group had, had ridden that road a bunch of times before and so they were keeping up a really brisk pace and uh, I was having a fun time pushing the bike a bit and it was we got out there early so it was still cool and the road was totally empty, so we could just go as hard as we wanted to. And it was a really beautiful start this to Sunday morning, and a great way to cap off the uh, the whole run. Yeah, those are some good roads out there. It's one of the I, I, every year I have less and less desire to ever like live in California to the point like I have no desire to live in California. But that is the one thing that would pull me in that general direction is just how good the roads are in central California like that. And just they're they're really car or motorcycle, whatever you want to do. You could go out every day and find something new and just well, amuse yourself for hours. That's not an argument for wanting to live in California. That's an argument for being independently wealthy and being able to go to whatever roads you want to ride on whenever you want to ride on. Them. <laughs> that's a fair point. I'll be I'm there not independently wealthy. Car. <laughs> I'll be there in a rental car in two weeks. Not sure I'll get that same experience, but <laughs> no. Okay, so the, uh, the the problem with highway, particularly Highway One, is uh, the uh, you you occasionally find yourself stuck behind um, a rented RV or a, a yeah. minivan, and if you are on four wheels, there's often way too much traffic coming the other direction and not enough passing zones to get around the vehicle. Yeah. If you are on two wheels. You there's a lot better you, ability to you teleport. Yeah, you can right. teleport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got some uh, some other topics that we wanted to cover on this episode. Uh, one of them 
is uh, Modus, the, oh. the V4 uh, Baby Block $30,000 American V4 have shuttered their doors, which just... This is so sad. It just seems like n- niche American manufacturers just can't do it. Uh, it's kind of Buell all over again. Yeah. Uh, really neat bike. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know one person who rode it and wasn't impressed. Everybody else said it was just a, a uh, remarkable experience. They really liked it, but it was just too expensive. They could not sell them. I know a couple dealers got in two or three and, and haven't sold one yet because yeah. nobody wants to buy a $30,000 or $32,000 sport touring motorcycle, regardless of yeah. how good the motor is. It's difficult to compete with economies of scale. So you can get a really good motorcycle for half the price of, of that one. So really you're just paying for the uniqueness of it. And that's, that's kind of a tough sell. Well, yeah, and, and, and things like, you know, it had standard GV saddlebags on it, you know, yeah. that they bought off the shelf. Well, yeah, they got to do stuff like that, but it doesn't make $30,000 look all that exotic yeah. and special when you're doing stuff like that. Yeah. But the engine is was uh, so incredible. And um, I'm pretty sure that you could buy the engine a la carte from yes. them. Yeah. Yeah. And in, and in fact, that's their business case in bankruptcy is yeah. they're looking to recapitalize. They're already one of the I put a link in the uh, in the show notes here. One of the one of the links is uh, they're doing a project with uh, Pratt and Miller, who mm-hmm. Around here, you would know – around Detroit, everyone knows who Pratt & Miller is. Uh, but they do a lot of heavy R&D work for General Motors and a few other people. They're also the people who uh, design, engineer, build, and race the Corvettes worldwide, the okay. factory Corvette team. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do and, – and they do a lot of aerospace work, a lot of aerospace work too. So these guys are good. But anyways, so they're working with Pratt & Miller and going to swap that into uh, like a Polaris uh, – uh, side by side. Yeah. Well, well the, the uh, and, engine has potential capability in so many different platforms. So it's so super light. And- yep. That's the thing is there's a lot of talk. Uh, and, and again, this capitalization thing is that they'll, they'll be a motor, uh, a motor built motor manufacturer because there is uh, interest in from Marine, from experimental yeah. aircraft, from you know side by side ATV, but, from hot rod car, hot uh, rod projects. I, I mean, know they've put a couple of them into Caterham, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the Lotus yeah. Seven replicas, and that's just a perfect motor for that. Yeah, that light but of tell car. Me, tell me this about that engine: is it's based on the Chevrolet LS uh, yes. platform? So do they own any right to the design, or do they have any patents? Is there any the engine has a lot of value in, in the concept, but is there anything stopping anybody from producing kind of the same thing? Like, yeah, so I just wonder several, if the court sees the same value in it. Millions of dollars worth of engineering. So they, yeah, they they've, already done, they've already done all the casting and, and machine work to do it. Right. I don't know why anyone would try and duplicate it. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, anybody could go. And, and yeah, because, you know, it's not it's not just simply a matter of cutting an engine in half. I mean, it, it literally shares no 
um, parts with an LS besides connecting rods, pistons, uh, valves, and that's about it. So, I mean, the heads are unique, the block's unique, uh, cam's unique, everything. And I know they put a lot of work into the valve train to make sure it worked the yeah. way they wanted it to long term. So, yeah. yeah. The only thing I don't know is the weight of the motor. That's the one thing. That well, I... an LS motor um, fully dressed is about 450, 500 yeah. pounds right in there. Four, 430, so, 450, yeah. But yes. it's, it's, it's based off it, but it's only a... Is less than a two liter engine. I think it's a 16 or 1800 cc engine. 1650, sorry. Um, so you can't exactly Mm -hmm. take it in half, cut that number in half. So yeah, um, but, but you know, your, 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 uh, your displacement that you decrease doesn't really translate into weight. You know, because you're talking about a four and an eighth inch piston versus a three and a quarter inch piston. 140 inch, a hundred, or excuse me, 140 pounds for the engine. Oh, okay. So. Uh, just because I've been looking at things that I can't afford um, and, and, and projects, uh, I've been looking at building my own airplane just because, yeah. uh, like I said, things I can't, uh, things I don't have room for, things I don't have money for. But one of the, the, well, the big motor in experimental is Rotax. Yeah. Um, and Rotax just came out with this turbocharged motor. It weighs 180 pounds. It's 140 horsepower. Um, but they also want like $38,000 for it. Right. Um, and like their normal hundred hundred horsepower motor, um, which is like 140 pounds, is like 26 grand. Well, yeah. one of the links in here, they're saying that you could buy this motor for like 11 or 12 grand. And if that's the case, um, this could be super huge for experimental aircraft. Yeah. Um, and, and I can imagine like little runabout boats and trawler motors kind of things. It would yeah. be it could be great as well. And unlike- right. Well, they. I was just going to say seven Marine, they build outboard motors with the full size LS, uh, motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, we'll put four of them on the back of a 40 foot offshore boat, but it'd be pretty cool to have like a miniature, well, not a miniature, 26, a, a 26 foot or something like, yeah, but super you know, lightweight and an outboard motor, uh, that's lightweight. That's got good power. And yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a super neat engine, and I love and, the idea of it. And as for a side by side, oh, that would be outrageous Perfect. in a side by side, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking Why would you of, ever buy a Jeep? Speaking of <laughs> speaking of teleporting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, okay. Well, that is one that's gone. Uh, something new that's coming in, as all of you know, and most of our listeners know, I do ride a spider, so I can keep up on. I tend to keep up and. Just uh, yesterday, they introduced the new, it's not the Spider, it's the Riker, which... Captain? Yeah, it's like, everybody's like, what's the Star Trek? But it's R-Y-K-E-R, Riker, and it is a minimalist uh, 530-pound, 560-pound Spider, except that it uses the... Uh, 600 and 900 twin and triple engines from Skidoo snowmobiles along with a snowmobile style, uh, belt and pulley, uh, CVT transmission rather than the sequential Rotax, uh, the, the fancy electronically controlled, uh, gearbox, tra- tra- gearbox that they've got on the regular spiders, uh, and it's, 
depending on who you ask, it's either ugly, goofy looking, or attractive. Um, it looks a little uh, Transformer-ish. But I don't dislike it. It doesn't have any storage. It doesn't have the front frunk on it like the regular spider does. And uh, it does have reverse. Doesn't have the dynamic power steering, but it still has the stability ABS traction control nanny. The interesting thing is they've come out with an adventure version with a little bit more aggressive tires, uh, skid plates, uh, (laughs) hand guards. (laughs) Um, an inch, <laughs> Did I hear you right? <laughs> yes, an inch higher suspension and a recalibrated uh, uh, stability control system that allows you to uh, slide the rear wheel. Uh, same, basically the same thing they did. They had one that's called the uh, they called it the Tona. Now it's called the Speedway, which is designed to be a little bit more hooligan-ish, but. Um, it's the to give you an idea uh i think as of a year or two ago when they had the rs which was their base model it was 159 to start this starts at 8499 for the 600 which is a little bit of a loss leader it's 47 horsepower for another $1500 for 99.95 you get the 900 which is 77 horsepower uh for comparison my spider, I think, is 630 pounds and 103 horsepower. So uh, performance should be about the same as some of the older ones. And um, it's it, it kind of reminds me of what they did with the uh, Skidoo or the Sea-Doo Spark watercraft, which watercraft were all over $10,000. And they just got prohibitively expensive. They came out with this really cheap one. Now, what they did with that one is they have the same motor, but they have two versions. One with an uh, a deliberately crippled ECU that they sell for, I forget what the price is, but it's like super cheap. And mm-hmm. then if you want the full power version, you pay, uh, I think it's a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars more that you step up to one that's probably being sold for what it actually costs them to build. And I think they're doing the same thing with this one. Um, so who's going to write it? Who's going to buy it? What's the market? Uh, there, they are specifically targeting younger people because so many retirees and older boomers are buying the, the, uh, the Can-Am spider that it's starting to get a reputation of being an old man's machine. And their, their research was, Younger people, whether they want one or not, can't afford one. So they, mm-hmm. this is basically a, a, a snowmobile powertrain with shaft drive and reverse. And, mm-hmm. um, overall, from what I can tell, just reading the news reports and forums and stuff the, the last couple of days, among riders, people who currently have, uh, Spiders, the reaction's been kind of a meh, but among people who ride motorcycles and have never had an interest, I've, I have just anecdotally seen people saying, wow, you know, for that kind of money, I could be interested in that to, to, to have it as an additional 
something not to replace my bikes, but as something different, kind of like, you know, people talk about having a, a, uh, Polaris slingshot just as an, yeah. an, an additional yeah. toy. So yeah. we'll have, we'll have to see, see where that, that goes, but I, I think it's a smart marketing move for them because they're, <clears> they're, it's a significantly lower threshold to ownership. Yeah. And it weighs 500 and 530, 560, something like that. So it's, yeah, it's easily that's surprising. And, and a lot of it is they, they used off the shelf components and they did a real simple transmission, which I think was, was smart. Mm hmm. Yeah. Jeff, uh, you see yourself rolling around on one of those? I can't really do three wheelers. I, I want, I want two wheels or four wheels. It's, I mean. Oh, it for, is, for the it is the worst of both worlds. Yeah. I will freely admit that, that it's, all of the discomfort of being out in the weather with none of the swoop of a bike. But it is kind of its own cool. Th- it, to me, it's like a road going go-kart. You know, it doesn't lean, but you can still have fun with it. And it's. it's oh, a- I don't doubt that it's possible to have fun with them. And I do have a quite a bit of respect for them. Just not quite yet on my radar. <laughs> well, there's, I know, uh, uh, several of my friends really would like to have a, uh, uh, the Polaris slingshot. I test drove one and I'm like, why would I buy this when I can either buy a Miata or save some money and buy an old, uh, you know, uh, MGB or something like that and have a really fun old roadster or buy something that's a practical car for every day. I did not think it was terribly exciting. So. You know, but I know guys that really want one. Yeah. Um. Uh. Going to the other end of the of the <laughs> cost spectrum. Uh. Eric, what were you? What What did you share with us? Just, just this is so unbelievably uh, unbelievable to me. I want to let you tell it because I can't believe this is actually true. So I was having a conversation with a friend of mine from Chattanooga, Tennessee, who uh, we used to do the uh, Live Fast Racing podcast together. Um, and we were catching up on some stuff and swapping a couple stories. And he's been shopping for a bike for a while. And he's a kind of a Harley guy, but he's his back is messed up, so he can't get on a bike. He, he tried and he can't. But anyways, so this all started with the, the thing about Harley Davidson and their social media and what a disaster it is and i had to share a story with him which i think i shared on the podcast a while ago about a year ago um and then it got to the debut of the uh which what is this the fxdr which he you know described as he described as hideous and having two degrees less rake than captain america's bike in uh you know <laughs> easy rider uh and how it was pretty much absolutely destroyed by everyone by every single media member um, at whatever forum. And then Harley like made some changes and brought everyone back to see if it was making a difference. And it didn't. And anyways, this evolved to the point where he's talking about how, how in trouble Harley Davidson is to the point where there's CVO bikes, which are full decked out touring bikes, whatever with ab- absolutely every little doodad and sticker at like 41 grand. So Harley Davidson are so desperate to move these bikes because they can't, that they are offering 10 to 12 year notes at 6% on them. 
<laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, that's I, the other. The only problem is, is that if you want to sit on that or any other Harley Davidson at a Harley Davidson dealership, they will not let you sit on a bike unless they get your name, phone number, and email. Wow. <laughs> Which isn't helping their cause, I, but it's I just have... like you want to talk about junk paper. I mean, holy crap, is that junk paper? What's the total amount financed if you like didn't like put anything 60... down? It's like $68,000 or something like that. Yeah. Or 70, close to $70,000 on a, nice. on a $40,000 bike. I, I, I ran the numbers last, last night or Sunday night when I talked to him. And yeah, cause it's Monday. Yeah. It's Monday. So yeah. That, that reminds me of something that just recently happened to me. Uh, 20 years ago when my wife and I were first married, we went to the boat show and a guy tried to sell us a Maxim SCR 2400, which is a, a fully equipped but not big uh cruiser you know it's it's more than a cutty it's a cabin cruiser it's got a microwave a head a bed a dinette but it's a 24 foot long boat so it wasn't anything yeah. huge and then there were like 42 or forty four thousand dollars. and the guy was like well you know it's got a bed in the kitchen you can finance it on a regular mortgage like any other house because it's considered a residence and i was like yeah, I want to finance a boat like a house. <laughs> Houses appreciate, boats depreciate. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, lots of luck with that, buddy. And that guy, he got our name and number, and he hounded us for like three years trying to sell us oh. a boat. <laughs> it, 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 it Just shy of 60 grand. I, I just ran the numbers again okay. real quick. It's just shy of 60 grand. Well, yeah. just a, a little while ago, just I thought back to that, and I looked up what the retail cost of a really clean 96 or 98 Maxim SCR 2400 is. About you, 12 can, grand. you can pick them up 10 to 12 grand with no hours on the engine, beautiful maculate interior. And I'm thinking, oh, there's somebody that's just kicking themselves because they're so upside down in those. They still owe 38 grand. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's a point where that's the bank's problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. Uh, yeah. Just the um, even with Harley Davidson coming out with all this whole, whole new line of bikes and everything like that, it was just to the point where they're they're in trouble on a lot of different levels. So this that was just the that was just the peak of of some of the absurdity we were talking about with with things going on at Harley Davidson. But yeah, twelve year note on twelve year note at six percent. So. If you really want a Harley and you want the super fine, super fancy one, um, but then it, it also got into go go to Harley Davidson's website and look at oh, oh the other one is the fact that they got rid of the Dinas was another big talking point, and that was literally like their biggest selling model and their most popular model, especially with younger riders, and they dumped it. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's yeah Harley's Harley's a real big mess right now. Yeah. I'm yeah. still hoping they uh, they actually manage to sell the Street Fighter in 2020. Boy, if they do, I would. If it if it is a decent bike at all, I would strongly consider buying one because I really yeah. like the idea and look of it. The, the, yeah, the, the the thing is, it's got to be a decent and b it's got to actually look something resembling well, yeah. the concept bike because that's so. What was that other bike that they um, came out with? The, the recently, ADV bike. But, no, 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 but they um they just took like an off the shelf exhaust 
to put on it, but oh, the then roads, have to move the roadster, the roadster. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm just hoping they don't do something like that to the Street Fighter. <laughs> you know, cut a bunch of corners and make it worthless. Yeah. And like a good concept and and just ruin it. Betting a new Harley doesn't suck in some ways. I know. Is I know. Is, yeah. is a pretty gutsy move. It, so I am one of the most outspoken uh, people that just like normally hates Harleys, right? So if they can capture me, then I feel like they can capture anybody. So just <laughs> deliver the Street Fighter like it should be delivered and their business will be okay. Yeah. Right. If I, yeah. I think I'm right there with you. They, uh, <clears throat> I walked into a dealer to go. I was I was looking for boots about the time that I was also shopping for some a, a middleweight 700 cc bike, and I talked to the guy about the Street 750, and he completely poo pooed it and said it was a terrible bike, and I shouldn't even be looking at that. I should be looking at the Sportster or something bigger, and <laughs> he he clearly misjudged his audience entirely because. But I walked out of there with the boots. I've been very happy with the boots, but. I'm completely in, ne- I'm like never going to walk into a Harley dealership with any thought of buying one of their motorcycles right now. Yeah. Like, well, and, and, and this- Harley has such a track record of exactly that, of coming out, you know, whether it's the, the Buells, the Ulysses, the going back to the Aramaki small bore Italian bikes they had. You walk in, they want to sell you a big twin, maybe a sportster if they think, you know, you're either a woman small in stature or don't have much money which is the only reasons you wouldn't want to buy the bigger bike. And anything other than that, they've tried to sell. Their dealers harpoon them because mm-hmm. they immediately talk about why you don't want the non-traditional Harley. And yeah. it, it, it's just... that's The song remains the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a little bit of personal news, uh, just last night, I wrote up my uh, annual project car, or in my case, project bike, State of the Union articles for Hooniverse. Hooniverse, once a year, has all of our contributors get together and write an article about their project cars or vehicles. And uh, I'm going on like the fourth or fifth edition of <laughs> on both of my bikes. Um, so... Uh, by the time you listen to this, they will be live. You can go out to Hooniverse and uh, just search for SOTU for State of the Union, and you'll get all those articles. And you can read. I won't bore you guys with the non-existent updates on my two bikes, except that I have another project bike, and it's not even mine. Uh, back in 2011, I... Uh, rebuilt my niece's KE100 that had like 700 miles on it, but it squeaked the big end bearing. So I tore the whole thing down, re- replaced it, got everything perfect on the bike, gave it to them. They drove it 125 miles on the farm, parked it in the barn. And now they're selling the farm and moving into a condo. And my niece is in college. There's no place to store the bike. So they've decided that rather than sell it because my niece is adamant that she does not want to give up the bike it came home with me sunday (laughs) the tires are good job the batteries just completely calcified the the somehow the the uh injection oil tank 
tube got sliced and poured oil all over the engine. I don't know how it happened, but the there's a stretch in the chain. I think they must have re-over-tightened the chain. In the 125 miles they had the bike before they parked it, they must have adjusted the chain. So now the chain has one big, really slack, stretched portion of the chain. And it's it's sat in a horse barn for five years or six years. So it's just <laughs> covered with with pigeon poop and dirt and so I promised them that I would fix it back up, get it roadworthy, and properly maintain it until whatever point in the future, after she is she's a senior in college right now, she's gonna graduate in December. She's going to have to like get a place, get a job, get a a place good enough to have a garage, or at least want to use this as daily transportation. Which, if I was going to do that, it wouldn't be a KE one hundred. So, I am convinced this will be in my basement forever. But I have committed to refurbishing that and refreshing it and getting it street worthy yet again. So now I have three unfinished projects in my basement. Yeah. Well, that's not so bad. It's less than me. <laughs> Which I, I, and I have to ask you, Garrett, I know you got to take off here really quick, but, uh, your, uh, 350 twin project, your Supermoto 350 twin, anything ever happened with that? Cause I've been, I was telling a friend about it. I thought, I gotta ask him what he's done with that. Yeah. I haven't worked on that one. Um, but I am probably going to come home with that Kenny Roberts RZ 350, uh, uh before, before our next show. Um, so that'll probably be joining my fleet. And um, I'll rebuild the motor because uh, it's tired. It has almost no compression. But it's all, it's complete and it's like really, 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 really phenomenal shape. And you uh, probably have all the motor internals that you need like laying around your shop. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be a one-day job. For me, um, you know, because I have the boring bar and I have uh, everything to rebuild the crank. I'll just take the motor out, split it. I'll have it put together in two and a half hours with all the machine work done. And I'll, I'll I want to leave it stock, except um, there's a series of common modifications that people do. They advance the timing a little bit. Um, the reed cages you um, from the factory, they're, they're quite restrictive, uh, the housings. Um, so I'll do that, and I'll raise the compression just enough so it, it runs uh, well on premium gas. And with all those modifications, usually they get about 60 horsepower right in there. Um, but from the outside, they look completely 100% original. Very cool. Um, so, so that's what I want to do to it. Just give it a little bit more power, a little bit more torque, really. So, so Yeah. And then maybe Eric will want to own it, and I'll make him a good deal on it at some point. <laughs> Weren't there a couple other ones that were like bits and pieces bar, bar bikes? Well, um, yeah, there's there's another RZ350 that um, it's not a stunt bike, but it almost looks like somebody was uh, like heading that direction with it. Like the gas tank's right. really dented, but it is all complete and it runs. Um, it would actually be a pretty neat bike just to like rip around on. Um, so there's that. There's another RZ350 that is, as far as I know, it's complete. It's the kind of red, white, and blue one. Yep. 
Um, but I don't remember exactly what condition it is in. Um, there is a Suzuki T500 Titan, the Titan 500, that is beautiful. Um, and it runs great. But uh, the kickstart gear is broken, and to replace it, you have to split the cases. So you, got, you have to split the motor to, to uh, repair the kickstarter. But I do have all the parts to fix it. We're over an hour, so let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. And uh, Eric, I will I will save my question about your electronic ignition for next month. Good. <laughs> uh, as always, you can go to hooniverse.com, which is due for a really nice reboot refresh. Uh, it's going to be graphically different, easier to navigate. That's all underway, and as part of that, I am back to writing for Hooniverse daily, so you can check out my stuff there on a regular basis. Uh, you can look at pictures of all the stuff we talk about on our monthly Hooniverse post that accompanies this, and uh, that's it for me. Anything else that other guys want to, uh, obviously rumble strip radio. Have you got all your, uh, episodes up on rumble strip radio? Still working on it. Still working on it, but there's plenty to listen to. There's 40 episodes up there for you to amuse yourself with from 10 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Jeff, anything you want to plug before we leave? Yeah. I just wanted to point out that I was riding with the Oakland motorcycle club. Uh, for the uh, ride this past weekend, I'm a member of the club these days. If you're a listener in the Bay Area, uh, the clubhouse is not far from the Fruitvale BART station. Um, come check us out. Meetings are every Wednesday. Uh, I've been having a great time hanging out with those guys. Cool. Well, Jeff, we certainly appreciate you coming back to update us on all of your adventures. And uh, I will uh, give you an open invitation anytime you want to join us. Always love having you on the show. Thank you so much, Pete. I, I should take you up on that sooner this this next time. <laughs> yeah, let's not wait two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, well, thanks to all of you gentlemen, and thank you to all of our listeners, and we will be back again next month. <laughs>